All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and it's good to have you here. Happens to be a Friday. Also happens to be sunny where I live. I, I live in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. We had some kind of weird weather this week, but it is stunning out today, even slightly cooler than normal. So that's been nice too. I hope you're enjoying your Friday where you're at. We've got a brand new guest for you today, and I'm going to introduce you here in just a second, but just a couple of things to keep in mind. If you're listening to the audio version of this after the fact, uh, make sure that you follow us at youtube.com slash Boca Podcast. Subscribe, turn on notifications, and keep up with the live streams. You can come hang out with us, ask questions of the guests while we're live streaming, and ultimately join the conversation. And this is really what the show is about. It's about conversation. We'd love for you to come hang out with us. If you are watching live today, do the same thing. Ask questions, comment. You can send us funny emojis if you want to. I, I don't care. Just engage. Let's have a conversation together. And then uh, for those of you who are uh, normally listening to the audio broadcast, also follow us over at Instagram. I mentioned YouTube and you can subscribe to notifications there, but follow us on Instagram.com slash Boca Podcast. We also announce the live streams there on our Instagram account. Then one other note before I introduce our guest today, as I promised I would do before every show, I made a small donation today to charitywater.org. Now this is the organization, and I just popped the receipt up there on the screen for today, but this is the organization that I give to on a regular basis. And I ultimately lead with this because I want to continue to encourage all of our listeners and our community at large to look for opportunities to give back, whether in your local community or to national or international organizations. Even just a small bit of money can go a really, really long way. And um, so I encourage you to do that. Do that with me and let's make a difference in that way. All right. Enough of the uh, the intro monologue. I want to bring my new guest in today, Christora. Uh, Christora, is it is it Osters or Osters? I want to make sure I'm saying that right. It's Osters. Okay. It's definitely Osters. We get oysters. We get all kinds of... <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a, a name that, I mean, phonetically is actually not difficult to pronounce, but it's been mangled quite a bit over the years. So I, I feel your pain a bit, but uh, simultaneously, I also want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. So, all right. So Christora Osters is here with me today. And Christora and I are going to actually get into... In fact, Christora, I was just talking to my daughter a few minutes ago. I was like, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this podcast episode today because we cover a lot of topics, very specific topics. I mean, over 500 episodes, so we, we jump around quite a bit. But I like just the simple notion of talking about how to get a photography business started. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that you faced doing so and ultimately how you learn to overcome those or are overcoming those challenges as a photography business owner. And we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. I want to start off the, the podcast episode with a question I ask most of my guests, which has to do with brand position. This is a great way for you to introduce yourself too. So tell me um, what market you're based in and ultimately what your photography business's brand position is. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I am just thrilled to be here and to help other people. It's kind of what we're here for, right? That's, that's the whole point in life. Help help each other out. Um, so I'm based in Louisville, Kentucky. We run, we, I say we, because I now have a studio um, of eight different photographers, but we run a photography business that is all about the candid moments and what matters to our couples. So we base our timeless, elegant photographs on what makes our couples tick. It's how we actually get the uniqueness across in each of our sessions and in each of our weddings. And one of the things I consistently hear when I'm going through the booking process or when I'm interviewing a client, because really it's not just that they're interviewing you, you need to interview them as well. That's something that I think a lot of people don't think about. However, 
when I'm interviewing them, I want to make sure that they understand that there is no set pose that's going to be perfect for each individual couple. It really varies based on who you are as a couple. Okay. So that's that's where we've established our brand position is that we want to know who the couple is in general mm. and also who they are as individuals and then bring that into, you know, into our photography. So, so it becomes more authentic that way. Sure, sure. I, now, this is interesting. I mean, first of all, a lot of photographers talk about playing to customers' preferences um, but I don't mm-hmm. know that I've quite ever heard a photographer talk about posing specifically based on the couple's preferences or their personality. What does that look like? How do you how do you establish that? And just on a very tangible level, what does that look like when you're actually photographing your clients? So one of the things that most photographers don't think about is that trust is something that's earned. It's not something that automatically comes. So I want to build that trust from the first interaction, whether it be when somebody gets onto my website or when I'm having a conversation with them. And what that comes down to is that human connection, is understanding that every story is uniquely theirs. Um, I'm sure that you've seen this before, Nathan, where a couple will get onto a call and be like, we met on Tinder. You know, like they're almost like embarrassed about it. But that's part of their story. Like that's part of your story. That's something that you should be proud of, that you utilize the technology that was there. So when it comes to the posing though, What I want to know is I want to know, do you trust one another? Does he protect you? You know, are you a person who wants to be an individual and be out on your own and courageous? That's going to dictate more for me what kind of positions I want to get you into. Are you a couple who can sit together in silence? Are you a couple who needs to be constantly in conversation? Those are the aspects that, and again, I really do the work to try and get to know my couples ahead of time, just so that they feel authentically seen, not just on their wedding day, but in general. Okay. So I, I want to keep pushing on this one just a little bit more because sure. it, again, it, there's, there's some of what you're saying that sounds very familiar. I've heard photographers say this, but I, I am taken by your, your approach to this and that you're pose, you're actually posing your clients differently based on their personality. So how I do. Do you, what kind of questions, there are a lot of questions that many, if not most photographers will ask leading up to a wedding, right? Just as a means to quote unquote, get sure. to know the, the, the couple or the clients. But what do you ask that enables you to figure out how to pose them? What does that specifically look like? Sure. So when I'm going through and I'm actually interviewing my clients, I'm asking them questions like, what was the moment in your life when you knew that you were in love with this person? And what they say you have to be able to read into it psychologically to understand what they're actually meaning behind it. For example, if I like I had a couple last night who they were interviewing me for if they wanted to book with me or not. And one of the couple one of the answers that they gave for what's the moment in the wedding that you're most excited for is that they're excited for the party. That doesn't mean that they're excited to drink. It means that they're excited to be around the people that are not always around them. And so incorporating those aspects into a wedding day are going to be really influential and essential for them to really feel like they have gotten the most, not just out of photography, but out of the experience. And so when you listen to somebody, there's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between hearing what somebody says and really actively listening. So active listening is where you take what they say. I take notes like crazy because I want to go back in and actually figure out what is behind this. Like, 
for example, um, if one of my clients comes in and she says, you know, I just never thought that he was, that I was going to get married. Well, what does that mean? Like, what does that really mean? It means that she had a sense that she was unlovable. And so being able to get her into a sense of feeling loved during her poses, you know, I want a lot of snuggles, a lot of kisses on the head for somebody like that. Mm. So it's things like that, that you have to be willing to look back at your conversations and reflect on what they actually mean in order to give your clients the most authentic, best experience for them. It's easy for us to just go out and photograph our couples, right? I could go out and I could photograph my couples, but for them, when I ask those questions and then I pose them to reflect what they've actually said, subconsciously what they've actually said, that's going to get them to feel so much more connected, not just to me, but to their, their loved one. And it creates this continuity across the board, not just between their wedding and their engagement, but between their love story. And ultimately that's what I want to do is encourage the love story. Sure. Sure. So, um, (laughs) just for the sake of making this interesting conversation, I got to push back a little bit. I'm curious at at what point do you feel as though you might be projecting onto their situation versus actually understanding what it is? Like, because I'll tell you, I'm first of all, I'm fascinated by psychology and I'm certainly fascinated by relationships. Yeah. In fact, I have a, a podcast yeah. centered around relationships. I'm, it's very, very interesting sure. to me. But there, there is, there are many times, and certainly speaking from personal experience, and I know what happens with other people as well, where we kind of project yeah. our experience onto the other person. And so a statement sure. or an idea, something that they say means something to us maybe differently than it means to those people. And you kind of run the risk in this situation. If you're reading into the thing or projecting on it, that you then translate that to the way that you're, you're capturing the couple. And maybe, maybe there's, there's a misalignment somewhere in there and it could potentially cause some issues. So how do you judge this accurately in the end? I think that if you're present, if you're truly present and what that comes down to is not, thinking about the next pose, not thinking about where you're heading to next, not thinking about what you're going to say next, you're able to, to establish and understand their body language is going to tell you everything you need to know. So while I can prep as much as I want to, it's, it's about reading their body language. Mm. You know, there are people who I could say they want to snuggle the entire time and they are incredibly uncomfortable with that. And that, but that's something that that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to prep, but it's also my responsibility to be open and available enough to them during those sessions and during their wedding to read the room. Like nothing is going to be the same when you're doing a Zoom call versus when you're actually meeting somebody face to face. We also can't control the factors that happen before a session. You know, I'm I've gotten into sessions before where people are in a crazy fight like very, very upset with one another. And so getting them into that that place, it might look different than I thought it did. And that's okay. Because I want to be present for them as much as I possibly can. Fair enough. So, fair enough. Yeah, there is yeah. there is a, a disconnect that I've seen, pretty significant disconnects, especially going to workshops. And I, I know workshops are not the same thing as working individually with a client. But when you go to photography workshops or conferences and you're watching photographers photograph a model, the the giant disconnect actually between that person taking the picture sometimes there's opportunity even for a photographer to be the lead photographer in a group of photographers in that context and you still see this this lack of 
willingness uh, or effort to engage uh, to like you're yeah. talking about just like truly paying attention, interacting with them, um, encouraging them. And it really is important at the end of the day to get the best possible finished images to, to truly be not, I mean, we, we can talk about being present and ultimately that enables us to be in tune with how they're acting, how they're thinking and feeling and be able to play along with that effectively. So that's it, a good reminder. And, and I appreciate you sharing your, your perspective on that too. And, you know, this is kind of a good way, segue to my next question, which has to do with customer experience. And I'm curious, the big idea driving a good customer experience for your business, especially now working with so many photographers. I mean, that's, that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but how do you, how do you effectively collectively provide a really great customer experience for your brand? So it's going to sound, it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I want to make sure my ideal client experience is something that I would want. And so in order for me to understand that I've had to do a lot of reflecting and a lot of digging deep on who I am and what my core values are. Okay. And so all, every one of my photographers have gone through and we've done a couple of different workshops where we actually evaluate what are your core values and why. So, because if you're really ingrained in your core values and understand what those are, it's going to create a better experience for everyone around you. And also it's going to allow you to see what would you want from this versus what other people are getting. Does that answer that question efficiently enough or not really? Well, I'm curious. So when, if, if we're, I guess, kind of playing on what we were talking about earlier too, if we make the, the process so subjective, I, I know, first of all, I think it's actually a great idea sure. to start with what it is that you want out of an experience. I, I certainly have done the mm -hmm. same thing in my businesses as well. And that helps create a baseline, right? You see as an individual an opportunity, a problem to be solved within a particular business model or an industry and you go attempt to solve that thing. I think that's, that's a great place to start, but I've also learned the hard way. And I actually have to continue to remind myself that the way that I think isn't the way that everybody thinks, you know, I, I'm a, sure. I've, I've been in the industry, for example, for you know 20 years or so now um, I've seen it, I've done it, I've heard it. And frankly, I'm a little bit of a cynic too, because of that. So that's kind of yeah. how I think, I think super critically, and I, mm -hmm. I can kind of see through and hear through the BS and get to the heart of it. And yeah, but I also realize that not every photographer is thinking that way. So for example, when it comes to marketing my editing company, I can, mm -hmm. I can approach that as the cynic being like, nobody wants to hear about this or nobody wants to hear it said that way, but I'm just speaking for myself at that point, And I'm not actually necessarily considering all the potential situations, thoughts, feelings of my potential clients effectively. So how do you balance sure. the, the value of the subjective approach to providing a good customer experience with making sure that you're also in tune with them? Well, it is about duality, right? Like it is about understanding that there is the angel and the devil to everything that we do. Nothing is black and white. Nothing is straightforward. So I think part of the reason why client experience is so important nowadays is that there are so many options out there. There are so many other places that people could go to, that people could be a part of. But in order for it to be an experience, we really want to create something for our clients. Mm. But to, in order to create something, you have to come from a place of starting to understand who you are and what you would do. Does that make sense? And then being able to go back in and pull away, pull back from that, that's where I talk about the duality. So for example... You were just talking about how you've gotten a little bit cynical with it. Well, maybe that cynic pushes a little bit more forward, 
but truly being able, I think that we don't take enough time to be still and to actually understand why our thought processes are the way that they are. And so going back through and actually pulling back from that, that sense of self, that sense of ego, if you will, right? When I talk about core values, that is ego. It's an ego thing that you have to understand that sure. that's who you are. Sure. However, however, when you can pull back from that, that's when you can really kind of, when you pull back, you get a bigger picture, right? When you push forward, your vision is more like tunnel vision. And so I think that it's really important to understand with a client experience, what we think is not always what they understand or what they're experiencing, right? So being able to take that wider angle is really, really key. But again, I'm going to go back to knowing who you are is where you have to start from. Well, I think our personality or what, what people tend to call personality, our, our behavioral tendencies, our interests, our life experience, which drives much of these things. I think that can certainly enable us to create a brand that is, well, to begin with, and to your point, reflective of ourselves. And that's fine. I think a lot of times in our industry, we put, we put so much emphasis on, quote unquote, who we are. And we miss a lot of we miss a lot of things, including opportunity as a result. But so we can put a certain amount of weight there. And that enables us. I think really the value in what you're saying is, uh, at least from my perspective, is if we're going to create an experience, if, if building a photography business in 2021, certainly 2022 and beyond, as technology continues to make it easy for pretty much anybody to take a nice picture. I think experience yeah. is what sets apart a good and established business photography business owner from the consumer or the prosumer, shall we call them? Sure. And so starting with what it is that you want to create that is hopefully actually different than those around you. And that ultimately mm -hmm. gives so much value that somebody that is going to pay you thousands of dollars, for example, to photograph a wedding, sees that value, feels that value, and doesn't have a problem paying for that value through the experience. Right. Great images, sure. Mm -hmm. And by the way, your image, the images on your homepage, in fact, I'll pull them up here really quick as I'm talking to you or just constantly scrolling, your, your work is stunning. So you've, you've done the work, you. You, you've made that happen. And that's in my mind, at least with your brand as a non-issue. So now the challenge, and I'm not just speaking about you here at this point, but any, for any photographer that Perfect. knows how to take a decent photograph, then the challenge mm -hmm. becomes, all right, I can take a decent picture. So can, you know, 50,000 other photographers. Now, mm -hmm. how do I create an experience that is unique within the marketplace right. that I am working in. And it, that part does start with us. Uh, yeah. it, there's an interesting duality that like, as you said, which mm -hmm. is all right. So this is what I want to create. This is what I think will set me apart because it doesn't seem to exist in this marketplace. But then how do I simultaneously accommodate the real needs and desires of my marketplace uh, without watering that, that individual unique brand down. And again, there is the ongoing challenge, but it all ultimately centers around experience. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't think, you know, honestly, as, as I'm talking here and I'm hearing what you're saying, I don't think we even have to land anywhere here. I think just the simple highlight of the significance of experience and creating something that is sure a reflection of you, but ultimately unique to the space and continuing to yeah. build on that is, is just, it is more important than ever in our, in our photography industry. It's so easy for somebody to just go buy a camera and say they're a photographer now. And that's great, but we want to encourage the community to do the best that we can for our clients, right? Like that's really the key is the end product 
can be a beautiful photograph, but it can be more. It really can. So right. Well, and and I think I think what we have to kind of get past though too is I mean that saying that somebody can go buy a camera and call themselves a photographer. The reality is I, with this phone right here, I can take better pictures than most. So it's not even about being able to buy a camera. It's just, we have access through all the different softwares, which are relatively inexpensive at this point and through, you know, something like a 500 to thousand dollar phone to take really beautiful images and run a successful business if we want to. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just a reality. And, and that, that narrative that we heard for a long time, I I heard it actually when the transition from film to digital photography happened. And I think we're in a similar space right now in that we're, we're moving. It's not that we're moving from DSLRs to phones, but it's the reality is that there is an opportunity there for that. And so whether it was from film to digital or now from DSLRs to to potentially shooting with phones in some cases, the, the narrative, which is the established professional talking down to the idea that somebody can so easily go take a good picture. Now it it kind of, it not only misses the point, it actually maybe inhibits us from being able to be as competitive as we can. That's just the simple reality. And I think I've told this before on the podcast, but I I used to go to, we had a local film lab here in the Chattanooga area. Uh, When I was shooting film, I would take my film, drop it off. They'd process it. I've had prints made. I I was shooting it with a, a Russian panoramic camera they would scan the film in and create prints from me for it. And I would go to this, the, the lab owner. This guy was, and he was a talker. You'd go in and you're waiting on your order or whatever. And he's just chatting away. And as the industry shifted to online galleries, um, at the time we were using a service called Pictage. Now, of course, you know, there are any number of galleries out there that are, that are options for photographers. But as the industry was shifting to online galleries, the ability to be able to order prints online, and he saw that eating into his business, he complained about it. And rather than thinking about how he could change the experience that he was creating for his clients in order to match what the industry was doing, he just complained about it. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't a surprise. And he did this over and over again. And I finally, I'd kind of heard enough, you know, after five, six, seven, eight times or whatever, hearing him saying this. And I finally said to him, but kind of confronted him on it in in a way similar to what we're talking about now, that you've got to, you can't, like, you can't just complain about it. You can't whine about it. You got to do no. something about it. You got to shift with the times, yeah. basically. And that's what we have to keep in mind as photographers now. And that's why, just to kind of bring it back around, and we, I promise for everybody listening and watching, we'll keep going. But to bring it back around, the experience, we have to be sensitive to where we are in our industry at the moment, what our culture is talking about, what they're doing, and what the market is saying, because we can't control that as much as, you know, egotistical photographers that we are and artist types. And we're so proud of everything that we do at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The market ultimately is way bigger than us and it decides where it's going. So do we, do we kind of stay on our, our little, um, pedestal and continue thought processes that we've had for all these years, or do we keep an open mind and shift and adjust and ultimately create an experience knowing that technology makes you know a good photograph a dime a dozen now do we shift and focus on the experience now and make that yeah. the the priority i think that's where we're at um i didn't mm-hmm. mean to go on that kind of a mod that that long a monologue christor but I, I appreciate you kind of bringing this all up no i i just 100 percent agree with you i i think that the second that we stop learning we stop serving our clients in the most effective way because if i i mean i used to not use off-camera flash at all And then I realized, like you were saying, that somebody was taking a photograph on a phone. And if I didn't differentiate myself in some other way, 
I was going to become obsolete. And mm. so being able to go in and learn, like that's really key is being open to learning. Open to learning means that you're open to new experiences. It means you're open to failing. And that's that's really the key to progress. Well, and I, I think we're going to learn more about just that as we talk about how you started your <laughs> photography business here in a second. Again, I, I, I didn't yeah. mean to kind of catch us up for so long on this point. Uh, I will. I do okay. want to throw in Paula, who's on YouTube watching today. She said, that's so true. So many people can take a pretty picture really trying to figure out what I want my client's experience to be and how that is unique to other photographers and what I'm working on. And Paula, you beautifully mm -hmm. summed it up. And by the way, did a much better job in a much more succinct way than <laughs> I did. I said, I took a long time to say all that. Um, but beautifully summed up. And that's exactly it. Anybody can take a decent mm -hmm. picture now, thanks to these crazy phones that are, I mean, honestly, it's pretty amazing. You take a picture and you're like, how in the world? You know, it wasn't, in fact, <laughs> the other day, my, my daughter, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast episode, but my daughter came home, she had, she had taken an old Nikon D300 out and taken some pictures with it. And I was looking at the finished results from those pictures and then thinking about what I can take with, with this iPhone. And it, it's not even close and that used to be a quote unquote professional camera, right? So anyway, mm -hmm. technology is going to continue to progress and, and pretty quickly. And we mm -hmm. can no longer set ourselves apart by, as Paula said, taking a pretty picture. We have to now think mm -hmm. about the experience that we're creating. And it's not every, you know, pretty much anybody can take a pretty picture. It's not everybody that wants to put the time, the effort, and energy, first of all, to running an actual business and all that's involved in that. But then ultimately creating an experience that makes that is unique, that makes them stand out. Not everybody's willing to put the time and effort and energy. And I think that is where the differentiating factor is going to be moving forward for an established professional who wants to shoot full-time charging premium prices. That's where it's going to be at. So, all right. Well, Paula, yeah. I appreciate your comments. And by the way, for everybody else listening in or watching, please don't hesitate to comment, ask questions. Um, we, I promise we're going to keep moving through this outline. Thanks, Christora, for your patience too. Um, no problem. There, sometimes we just sit on these topics and, and, um, I have to remember this is, this podcast is not about me. It's about interviewing our guests. So we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about time management. Um, speaking of better time management, when it comes to running a business, having a life, family, friends, how do you find balance in, I guess, between those two? And, and I realize balance is a, it's a funny word because it's different for everybody, but for you, how do you keep from getting burnout and ultimately still having a life outside of work? Um, delegation has been key for me moving forward. I, so I actually just retired from being an educator this past May. So I was doing education and running a full-time studio at the same time. Wow. Um, teaching high school. It was like, when I say I worked from 6am to 8.30pm, it was absolutely awful. Hmm. And so one of the conversations my husband and I had before I left education was that having established hours of operation was going to be really key. And so I have stuck with those hours of operation. There are dentists who you have to take the day off in order to go and get your teeth cleaned, like from nine to five, they're open. They're not open on the weekends. They're not open during these other times. I want those people who value photography and I have to value my time first and foremost in order to get those clients in. So at least that's the way that I have found higher quality clientele is by valuing my own time yeah. and not bending over backwards with, yeah, let's meet at 8 PM. Or of course I can take your photographs, you know, at seven 30 on a, on a Friday night. Right. Like, no, I've, I've had to establish boundaries with mm -hmm. that. And I have found that my, 
my ability to release control was something that I definitely struggled with initially. I think that's something that as you progress in your business, that's the only way to progress is to give away some of the work that goes into running a business. If you're not going to give away some of the work that goes into running a business, we worship the grind. Like this United States of America worships the grind. And if you're not grinding and you're not working all the time and burned out, then you're not quote unquote doing it right. Mm. And I don't agree. Mm. I don't agree with that. I run this business to have freedom and to have peace of mind and to have time with my husband and to do something I love. So if I'm not giving away my editing, if I'm not allowing somebody else to help me with blogging, to run my social media presence, all of those things are things that are time and time is our most valuable resource that any of us have. Time with family, time with friends, time to relax, time to be active. All of those things are things that you can't get back. Like it's a, it's a finite resource if you think about it. Time is just something we, I don't think we value enough of. Yeah. And so by giving away and releasing that control, you actually have more, you have more control over what you decide is important and what you decide you want to do. That's and that's really great, and you've kind of set me up beautifully for my next question about delegation. So I'll get to that in just a second. But there are a couple of things you mentioned. One, we do we do kind of worship the grind, and there's I can speak from personal experience in that. I, I mean, I, when I set out to create Photographers Edit, I I wanted to create a business that gave me more flexibility. So it wasn't about mm-hmm. it was ultimately about creating systems that help run a business efficiently so I had more flexibility. And I could, I was literally able within a few years to work as little as about four hours a week. You know, people laugh at the sure. four hour work week title that, that Tim Ferriss wrote a number of years ago, but it can actually happen if, if you set that intention and put the right systems in place. Mm-hmm. Um, the caveat is that you only grow so much when you're only w- willing to put so much work in. So I, where I would push back is that there is, there is something to be said for putting hard work in if we want to actually build something, because I think the, um, it, 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 social media culture, it's easy to see the end result and not all the work that goes into that end result. But then the flip side of that is if we put so much into like if, if work is all we know, in fact, I had the chance right. to, this was years ago, but to, to one evening, actually, I was out in a yacht with a number of people from the photography industry. This was, I think we were in LA or the LA area. And I will, of course, not going to mention names, but one of the most well-known wedding photographers in our industry ever. Um, was on this boat. And I noticed particularly that evening that this individual was outside of the conversation around photography and the photography industry and technology. They were extremely, extremely uncomfortable in conversation. And to be clear, this is is a very extreme example, but we certainly see it. Uh, I've seen it in my life elsewhere as well. If, if we are, if we only know work, if, if the way that we identify ourselves and function on a day-to-day basis is work, and then when work's not happening, we're kind of like, what do we do? What do I talk about? How do I even you know, carry myself? We know that we've gotten to a pretty bad spot. So there is opportunity in life, as you point out, for the important relationships. There are opportunities in life to, to learn and develop skills and have hobbies and, and travel and it's so many different opportunities. And if we literally build our lives around work, we're missing out on so many, so many levels. I'm glad that you highlight that. Um, I, and I have to ask you too, you're talking about your husband. 
what do you all do yeah. like just to create time for the two of you? Because uh, myself and my girlfriend, Jill, who also produces this podcast, um, we, we talk about this, like how can we set time aside and do date nights and do this kind of thing? What do you all do to make that happen? So one of the things that we did initially when we first got together was we did a hobby evaluation. And so we figured out what the other person really liked. And so mm-hmm. one day a week, we actually go and we attempt, attempt. I hate karaoke. I absolutely hate it, but I will attempt it. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> but okay. we attempt we attempt to go and build the other one up. And so two days out of the week, it's, it's based on what's going to fill that one person. And so, but we know that putting everything into that, we're going to get something else out of it as well. Because we're very different people. Like, Mm. he is very down to earth, very logical. He's a physicist. Okay. Like, I'm a dreamer. I have a free spirit. You know, I've lived in four other countries. Like, Mm -hmm. he would never even think about that kind of stuff. And so, in order for us to find that balance, we have to fill each other up. Um, it's about filling each other's cup, being intentional with our time though, is also something that we've had to work on in particular when I was still teaching, um, and, and running the business. And now I have a lot more time to be able to dedicate to it. It's so easy for us to just fall into TV and phones. And I, I don't think we're alone in that, in the idea of, okay, we're going to be together, but not actually have any kind of quality time to it. So being intentional with when our quality is happening has been something that's been game changing for us in our, in our marriage and in our relationship. So that, so a couple of things, the intentionality behind creating space. I I think this has come up a number of times on the podcast, but it's funny how a lot of times we complicate a situation necessarily when really it could just be as simple as saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And we make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, prioritizing. Yep. So I love that reminder and I need that reminder. So it's good. Um, the, the other thing that you're talking about is learning how it, because I know a lot of photographers are working with their partner and then others mm-hmm. just are in a relationship and they have to juggle work and time personally. And so th- th- there's a personal relationship there learning mm-hmm. how to, play to the other person's interests in, in kind of a balanced way is an interesting point of conversation. I think we could even do like a whole podcast series on just relationships and running a business, like balancing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot. Um, how long have you guys been together? Uh, married 10 years next summer. Wow. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. Thank you. Thank so, you. He, he's definitely my, my yin to yang. Yeah. He brings me down. <laughs> when I need to be brought down. (laughs) I laugh because Jill is very similar for me. I'm definitely the more emotive, emotional dreamer type. Um, and she helps kind of even me out a little bit, which is, which is much needed at times. Um, but is is there, is there, I mean, you talked about karaoke, what's one or two of the other activities that you guys have figured out is like kind of brings enjoyment for both. Um, so golf is a big one. Uh, he really loves golf. For me personally, it's exercise. So he'll go to an exercise class with me once a week, which to me, that fills me up more than anything. Like seeing him take an interest in going to Orange Theory is just, it's fantastic, right? Like It's also the it best makes workout my, ever. Oh my gosh, the best workout it's ever. It's so good. Yeah. For anybody <laughs> yeah. listening or watching, if you've never done an Orange Theory class, it's challenging to be clear, but oh my word, you walk out of there. It's just, it is so, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So we do, we do trivia. So he is actually a trivia host, um, two nights a week. 
So I go to his, my, my like promise to him is that I'm there for half of the time that he's actually being the trivia host. And so like, but then, but you know, again, it's the intentionality when he knows I'm there, he'll actually add songs to a playlist that he doesn't like, but he knows I like. And it's those little things that we've been really intentional. Now we don't have any kids, which, so we have the time for intentionality. We have, but we've established that this is, this is what we want from our relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Other people might be in a different boat and that's, that's okay too, right? It's just depending on who you are with your partner and also understanding that you are not just a couple. So I'm an individual person. And if I am only doing what he wants, that's not going to fulfill me. If we're only doing what I want, that's not going to fulfill him. And a happy partner means that my life, he had, he encourages me in ways that I don't think that I would have been encouraged had we not been so intentional with how we have established this life together, mm. if that makes sense. It's, it sounds really lovey-dovey, right? Like, well, we, we fight all the time. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no, and, and you actually bring up a really interesting topic, which we'll, we'll save for another day because it'll take us even further down an, another rabbit trail. But codependence is, is an interesting point of conversation in our, in our culture mm-hmm. um, because of the way that romance has been kind of depicted for so long, especially through pop culture. And, and by the way, I bought into sure. it too. And I, I, I think that I think that a lot of that still can exist. Um, I I'd still mm-hmm. am very much a romantic. Uh, but I also think that, to your point, the significance of individuality can't be missed. And in fact, if it does get mi- missed, it actually affects the romantic side of the relationship on multiple levels. So I love that, that you found that. Um, I also love mm-hmm. the, the significance that you highlight of paying attention to the other person's interests. And it may seem obvious to a lot of people, but I think especially in relationships that go on for any period of time, it's very easy to just kind of be blinders on and you, you do what you want when you want to, when you feel like it. And if you don't feel like it and you're not interested, then you, you're like, I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. So I'm not going to do that. When the reality is that just yeah. a little bit of effort and doing the thing that your partner's interested in, which goes so far um, and, and done right. like you were talking about on a consistent basis like that is it, it makes a massive difference. So these are really great points. Maybe yeah. we can do a whole separate podcast episode on, on relationships at some point. I, I want to very quickly sure. just hit on what, two last questions before we get into our main topic. Number one, um, you talked about delegation and how mm-hmm. that makes a big difference when it comes to time management. What types of things do you delegate in your business? Um, I have a virtual assistant who handles all of my blogging, my publications, submission to vendors after the fact. I have a social media manager who, well, I have four different social media platforms um, across four different businesses across the board for social media. And so that in and of itself could take up all of my time, but instead we have a great system in place where she handles all of that. Uh, my editing, I'm currently in the process of looking for somebody. So that is like my last company. You know, in case I happen to help. have already reached out to you. Don't you worry. <laughs> Shout so. out to photographers edit. Uh, Shout out to photographers in? edit. <laughs> <laughs> With the VA, so how so, did yeah. you how did you go about finding a virtual assistant? Is that did you use a service, third party service, or how did you do that? So I actually had an assistant who was working for me, and then she ended up moving to Texas, and so I started talking to a couple of friends. They knew of a few of their friends from like a past life who had started a VA company. So I just kind of got lucky where I found this one VA who she's 
phenomenal. And so she, my assistant is actually still with me. She'll be moving to Texas in December. And so that VA will be taking over everything that my assistant was doing. Does that make sense? So, and what would you say through, through the process of hiring a VA, just name one or two principles that, that drive a successful relationship there, especially when you're handing something over to somebody who you don't really know personally, how, how do you best handle the communication that enables that to be a successful relationship? Well, I think the key with delegation is praise, praise first. Like, what do you like that they're doing first? And then walking them through what could have been done a little bit differently. Mm. Because especially with a relationship where it's virtual, mm. you know, um, I have somebody who does my social media. Like I said, she is not in town. She's not here. So when we get together, I will walk her through and say, I loved this particular post that you made. I loved this that you did on Facebook. I really enjoyed what you did with TikTok over here. What can we do differently with these three? And so giving her concrete examples of what I like and dislike, I, I think that so, so oftentimes we're afraid of the bluntness of being blunt with what we actually want. And so being able to come in and, and tell them not just this is really poorly done, but also saying this is really well done. Yeah. So giving somebody what the, where you want them to go versus where they're at right now is going to create a better direction and also giving them some grace. It's a learning process to really understand what somebody's looking for. And so one of the things I want to constantly do, not not giving them, you know, the freedom to to screw it up. That's not what I'm trying to say. There's a big difference between grace and when somebody really screws it up. But if they're trying and they're moving slowly towards it, you're actually building a better relationship with that slow build than your than a quick knows everything that you want right away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would tend to agree with that. We've we've gone through a number of different employees over the last few years. Um in some cases where we hired too fast. Uh mm-hmm. but the relationships that I was willing to invest in seem mm-hmm. to I, I mean obviously if you see red flags at the outset you have to say no this doesn't work but beyond that you're absolutely right investing in those relationships um that have ultimately lasted the longest and, and have had most benefit to our brands is is has just been really important it is true that the patience is important you have to set aside ego and the notion that we have it all figured out i am curious though mm-hmm. and the, the reason i smiled earlier because i was i was thinking about the idea of coming in with a compliment before you then give them constructive criticism. Is there a chance in those cases that you, you begin to develop this pattern and the, the employee's mind that, Oh, she's complimenting me. I got to get ready for the, the criticism coming right after that. No. Cause I don't, th- that's only when I actually need, I only do that when I actually want something differently done okay. and I won't always come in with a compliment if that makes any sense. But I want them, I want to be able to give them a concrete example of what they've done well. If there was something that they did well, that's what I want to start with. Because I want them to understand that, yes, you did accomplish this in this particular location. Now let's talk about how we can bring all of these other aspects to that, that example that I gave you at the beginning. If they have an example of what is correct, that's easier to go to towards than never seeing something like that. So a compliment is not necessarily the way that's, that's the wrong word to use. It's more of like a concrete example of what was done well. Okay. So I just think of it like that. Yeah, yeah no, that, that <laughs> I just makes... think of it like, let's, 
Does that make more sense? I know it totally makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And I got what you were saying at, at first too. I just, I also yeah. know, again, just being a bit of a critical thinker and, and thinking about human psychology and the way that I'm interacting with right. people, whether it's my, my employees or my girlfriend or my kids, it, it, I know how people think and, and pretty well sure. at, at least. And, and so I'm just thinking about how they're, they're processing that on the other side and I'm a little bit of a cynic. So then I start to think about that kind of stuff then too. I'm like, because I, even growing up, like my, my dad used to, to talk about to us about how do we approach conversation, like tough conversation? How do we do that? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was yeah. basically a version of what you just said, which is lead with the positive and, and then mm-hmm. go to, you know, what could be potentially a challenging part of the conversation. And so I can just imagine well, that, that people start to develop that, that pattern in there and they're like, oh shoot, like, are they getting ready to give me some constructive criticism as well? But to go to go back to that, yeah. if I'm having a meeting with you, would you expect, unless it's a meeting where I've asked you and I just say, hey, I just wanted to let you know how great you're doing, would you not expect that there would be something that we would talk about to work towards something else? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, this like, is, this, to be clear, this is not a like criticism is, of the thought process. <laughs> I, I was just, no, no, I'm no. just laughing out loud with you, this is all. I was just thinking about yeah. the, the psychology involved in all of that. Um, I, yeah. when I have meetings with my, with my team, for example, they're normally pre-scheduled. So we have certain days sure. of the week where, uh, for example, Jill and I meet together, um, a certain day where I meet with, um, our head of customer service, certain day where I meet with our operations manager, uh, or one of our operations managers, and they're kind of break, broken down our team meetings, a different day broken down through the week. So the meetings are already established. So there's not really a concern. I think at that point going into those meetings about what it is that we're going to talk about, there's opportunity to talk about things that we need to work on, things that are great, et cetera. Um, and, sure. but I, yeah, I was just, honestly, this is just the, just me internally <laughs> laughing, just thinking about the psychology involved. I, I think generally the principle that you're talking about is actually a really great approach because the last thing that somebody wants is just to be like for you to come in guns blazing and go hard at you and you're overwhelmed, right. especially if you're a new employee and you're like, but I was trying and I, I thought this is what you meant. And you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, lead, lead with the positive yeah. always, I think is a great way to go. Well, and, and have a have a concrete place that you're trying to lead them towards. Mm. That's the key with delegation. Yeah. The key with delegation is to be able to demonstrate and then release, mm. demonstrate, release, demonstrate, release. And it, it's not a one time they're going to get it. So like true. It's, it's never going to be that way. So true. But if you, if you can show them, it's almost like leading them and then letting them walk ahead of you and then coming back and leading them and then letting them walk ahead of you. Mm. Mm-hmm. that's that's the key to delegation in my experience that's no that's a so. brilliant summation and again a good reminder for me too as i think about how i work with my team and then be, hire other people it's it's really true because unless you get out of the get out of the way and let them do their thing there's yeah. little opportunity for growth and I, i've seen it and because i was a poor yeah. manager there have been times where i see this behavior which is like almost a, a fear of of kind of taking their own initiative because it's like, is Nathan going to say that this is not quite the, and that's where I know I'm, I'm being too hard or I'm being too restrictive and I need to give them, I need to do a better job of training number one, but then give them more space to do their own thing. And it's, it's right. You're right. This is, this is applicable and really all types of delegation. I'm thinking about post-production too. outsource editing. It is a relationship and it, it is 
a, an ongoing process that involves significant amounts of communi- communication. A lot of photographers give yeah. up because they just want to dump the images and then, and then expect everything just to turn out perfectly. And it, it just doesn't work that way. There's a relationship involved in that on an ongoing basis and communication is so key. So I, you set a premise for delegation here that we haven't quite had explained the way that, the way that you just did. And I think it's a really, really good food for thought for our listeners. I appreciate that. Um, last quick question. And I yeah. will we'll actually do this quick this time because we still have <laughs> okay. so much to get to. This might be a longer episode than, than we normally have. That's fine. Talk to me about one of the most impactful self-help or business books that you've read that you would want to recommend to our listeners you think would be helpful in their, their life or their business. Um, I think that one of the main keys that everyone needs to understand with running a business is that motivation will fade. So if you are not disciplined in your habits. And so, um, atomic habits by James, I wrote it down. There it is. James clear, James clear atomic habits by James clear is, was life changing for me. It taught me how to actually reward myself slowly to build a habit, but not to a point where I was hurting myself. And so in order to understand how to build discipline, you have to start small. So the smaller that you can start with your discipline and then the building on top of that is going to encourage you and help you with continuing your business along the way. I, I just found that book phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and and I, I pulled it up here on the screen on Amazon, Atomic Habits, James Clear, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. Honestly, though, Christora, I, if, maybe the most impactful thing you've said yet today is that is that that phrase, that statement that motivation will fade because Mm -hmm. we again we live in a culture right now where there's all this like you know motivational quotes and watching videos and this kind of thing and and i think we've in some ways kind of developed the subconscious quote-unquote need to have that in order to even function rather than learning to actually enjoy the day-by-day process it's not this idea that that something always has to feel good or that we just love doing it in order to do it it is it's it's so limiting uh to to our life that that, anyway that that's it you've said all these things today you just get me going on all these (laughs) rants (laughs) we hit too many good topics but anyway it's so true so i'm so glad that you pointed that out atomic habits we'll put it in the show notes bocapodcast.com and um for anybody who's curious you can go to the show notes today all the talking points the the resources that we discuss will be there at bocapodcast.com or in the show notes of your favorite podcast player all right so we, we said, I mean, here we are 45 minutes later, but we said we were going to talk about the challenges facing and ultimately dealing with the challenges of starting a new photography business. Remind me, first of all, how long ago did you start photographing professionally? Eight years. Eight years. So it's been, I've, I, I started the business actually October 13th, 2013. I know the exact day. Wow. So like yeah, almost exactly eight years then. That's awesome. Almost. Yeah, we went and celebrated two days ago. So it was great. Oh, good for you. Okay. So thank you. Starting a new business, it can be mm-hmm. certainly a mixed bag. And, and, you know, we all have the, the, the backstories to our businesses. Um, what yeah. are what would you say are three things that especially new photographers that might be listening um, or those that are just getting their business started? What are three things that they can expect in the process of starting a business? I, I think that one thing that I did not expect, and so this is definitely something that you should understand, is the cost of starting a business and the cost of doing business are two completely different things. For example, I first started because a friend of mine asked me to take engagement pictures with a camera that I bought, 
And I got out there and I loved it. And I went home and I filed to become an, uh, an LLC. Like I literally filed the day after I took my very first session because I knew that that's what I was looking for. Hey, bud, come on over here. Go jump up. Go on. We, go jump up. We have a dog. Is there you go. The conversation. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Apologies. What? What's his name he's or very, her name? He's very needy. His name's Charlie. Hey, hey, Charlie. Okay. And he's just going to pace. He's just going to pace. <laughs> no worries at <laughs> all. No worries at all. Um, so I think that that was one of the biggest shocks to me was mm-hmm. equipment costs, the editing software, your website management, your travel costs, your taxes, you know, and also the time away from your family. Yeah. So to your point earlier, when you were talking about hardworking versus the grind, you have to put in hard work when you first begin. Like there has to be a time where you really are nose to the ground. I want this to work so badly that I'm going to do everything in my power to get there. But establishing those habits early on can really be hard to break later. That's really the key is understanding that that time away from your family is also a cost of doing business, especially for wedding photographers. Saturdays are gone. Like I no longer watch college football and I love college football, (laughs) but it's a, it's something that I've given up because I want this so badly. And now I'm getting to the point where I have enough photographers where if I really have a game that I want to see, I can send one of them. I really can because I know and I understand that the training process that went into it. I'm getting away from the question, though. Um, The second thing that I think that you can really expect is that people are not just going to come to you when they see your photos. Mm. That is marketing is a key proponent of this. And there are photographers out there who will not have or might not have as great of photos as you, but they understand marketing in a way that you don't. And so their growth is going to exponentially go past you. If you want to start a business, you need to understand how to market. Um, And then the third thing would probably be expect to fail. Hmm. Expect that there will be moments of disappointment And that there will be moments where you have to remove your ego from the situation in order to grow. Um, I know for me personally, I didn't actually start to understand my failure until I came across SMART goals. Have you ever used SMART goals, Nathan? I haven't, no. Okay, so SMART goals are specific, measurable, attainable, relative, and timely. You have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Everybody has. Yeah, I forgot the acronym, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And so by doing that, it allowed me to, to not only not just look at my failure and say, OK, I failed, but to look at my failure and say why. And then also to revamp my goals. Maybe it just needed a small tweak. And it wasn't that I didn't meet my, meet my goal. It was that I needed to change one aspect of it in order to get where I needed to be. Hmm. So those were the three things that I think people don't really expect the failure, the cost of doing business, and probably a portion of, of time where you don't understand your marketing. You know, you're you're very fortunate if you start off with a marketing background and you walk into a photography business because you're going to understand a little bit better how to get yourself out there, how to put yourself forward to other people. There's a difference between reactive marketing and proactive marketing. So, for example, putting myself on the knot or wedding wire, that's going to be reactive. Somebody who is engaged is going to come there. They're going to compare me to my competitors. They're going to reach out and they're going to make a decision. 
proactive marketing is going after those vendors I really want to work with, reaching out to the venues who I want to be a part of, submitting myself for publication in magazines, getting onto podcasts like this. You know, those are the different aspects of, of proactive marketing that I don't know that a lot of people really understand because we think that when we put ourselves into a directory, that's marketing. Having a website is marketing, but it's, it's more than that. It's mm -hmm. so much more than that. You have yeah. to be proactive with going out and getting yourself seen, getting yourself heard, you know, even, even getting yourself read, like blogging for not just your own website, but blogging for other vendors, blogging for other venues, um, I know that different places around the country will actually take blog submissions from photographers. So you can reach out to your local radio station, your local television station, and pitch pitch something about, you know, senior sessions because of the pandemic. Like things like that are going to get you a different sense of return on investment than simply a reactive marketing scheme. Yeah, it's true. Well, let, let's actually kind of transition into this conversation about marketing too. And sure. I, I know that you have, I think, four different challenges that you said you had faced in marketing your business, especially as a new business owner. And I'm curious if you can kind of break down each of those and then ultimately how you face those, overcame them, or maybe are still on an ongoing basis overcoming them. I, I think we're always ongoing overcoming, right? There's always... Yeah. There's always better, more efficient, interesting things popping up. Yeah. And so I I would say ongoing is, is a moot point because it has to be that way. Um, the first thing was definitely learning about reactive versus proactive. I had never considered that just being out there was never going to bring me in the clientele that I wanted. But now I'm able to go out. And one of the things that I've done is I've established where once a quarter I do a style shoot. And I try and reach out to vendors who either A, I haven't worked with and I want to work with, or B, vendors who I love and I know that they would love the content. So continuously establishing those relationships back and forth. And then when you walk into a wedding day, I don't know if you've ever, were you ever a wedding photographer, Nathan? Yeah, for about a decade. Okay. So you know how you walk into a wedding and you're just like, oh, it's family. Okay, the the hair and makeup artist is perfect. I know the venue coordinator. Like, how's your kid doing? Yeah. It's those kind of relational mm -hmm. building that actually encourage them to market for you even more. 100%. And yeah, so that was one thing. Um, Nathan saw this at the beginning of our <laughs> of our podcast. I am not a tech girl. I think I hung up on you three times. Is that right? <laughs> no worries. No worries. <laughs> Okay. So understanding SEO, somebody starts to talk about search engine optimization to me and Lord, I am not a tech girl at all. I, it just goes right over my head. I tend to think of myself as an intelligent person and I feel so dumb. So sending that out to somebody else and allowing them to do my search engine optimization for me has changed my marketing as well. But also going in and doing the work with SEO, because you have to be blogging. You have to put yourself out there. You need the backlinks. And if you don't know what I'm saying right now, do your research mm -hmm. or have somebody teach it to you who knows about mm -hmm. it. That's one thing that I don't think that we do enough of. Um, 
that I don't think that we do enough of as photographers is reach out to one another when we see somebody doing a job well done. I know that you preach it as well, community over competition. Like I've reached out to numerous people and said, how did you do this? And maybe they have not said, hey, I definitely am going to tell you, but somebody is willing to help. And I'm willing to help other people in return because of that. Um, The third thing that I did for my marketing was I did my research about my competition and I did my research about my market. If you have never conducted like a marketing research of your own, I highly encourage that you go in and you figure out who are your competitors. And I don't mean like, hey, every single person on the knot. Absolutely not, because that is not your competitor. My competitor is not a light and airy photographer. My competitor is not an all natural photographer. My competitor is, I only have two in my area who are off camera flash, true to color photographers. And so that means that in a, if, when you see this entire choice that you have for your wedding decision for photography, really, if you have a style that says that, there's only three. That's it. Only three in the city of Louisville. And so understanding who you are actually competing with is going to also bring you along further in your marketing ability and in understanding and not feeling like you're overwhelmed in, in a field of photographers. Um, what is that? What does that market ahead. research process look like? Because when I do um, brand position consultations, for example, on the podcast, it, it's honestly for me, it's as simple as just doing a Google search, the genre of photography in that marketplace. That gives me a head yeah. start, right? You can go, you can get much more detailed than that. Um, yep. I can look at keywords and how that relates to what I searched, and and there are a number of things you can do. But just starting with the Google search, I wonder how many photographers have speaking of proactive work proactively gone and just done that and scanned through the first three, four pages of results, looking at photographers in the market, looking again, going back to our earlier conversation, I think style only plays so much of a role. I think it does to a Mm -hmm. point, but at the end of the day, we're all using the same Lightroom presets. We're all shooting the same way. Like there's, and I say that very broadly to to be clear, but I know (laughs) there's a lot of similarity there. And the reality is most of the clients on the other side, don't know the nuanced differences that we see. So style is one thing, but if we actually start looking at, at the services that are being offered, how the services are being communicated, the price point, um, yep. the brand experience, there are a number of factors we can look at and compare ourselves against. Is, is that what you're talking Absolutely. about or do you take a different approach? No, a hundred percent. That's, that's exactly it. I started where I went in and looked at the style and then I went in and looked at the copyright. Like the copywriting is going to tell you a lot about, Mm -hmm. and if you have not gone in and focused on your copywriting, it's something that you a hundred percent need to do. And honestly, I'm preaching to myself because I went in the other day and reread mine and I was like, Oh girl, you got some work to do. (laughs) Isn't it funny? You got some work to do. Yeah. But again, it's the ongoing changes and you have to be willing to ongo to like continuously update and continuously change. And as I learn and as I grow, that's, I have to be willing to go back, go back to what used to be there and revamp it. And that's really going to, going to help you to grow even further. So, and then it's not like you have to have a set time to go back and to revamp things, but just understanding that life is fluid, who you are as a photographer will be fluid. How you photograph will change. Mm. How you relate to your clientele will change. I'm almost 40. Like, 
eight years ago, I did not have the pain that I have the day after. That photographer hangover <laughs> is real. Sure, yeah. It's so real. Yeah. So, um, and then the final thing that I did was every quarter I write out SMART goals. So that was a big change over for me with my marketing because those SMART goals allow me to actually go back, look at my marketing in an effective, concrete way and measure them against where I wanted to be versus where I'm, I'm going. And then I'm able to actually go in and write new goals afterwards. So I have my large overarching goals, but then I also break them down into smaller, more attainable ones along the way that then I can revamp throughout the year. So... And I actually, I, I was just, as you were talking, I was pulling back up my notes. Um, I, I use Evernote as my endless collection of notes and documents. I think I have something like yeah. close to 17,000 documents in there right now, but um, <laughs> literally, like I'm not, I'm not joking, but I, I did a quick search on smart goal because when you said that earlier, initially I blanked, but then remembered that I had looked into this and specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely and you mm-hmm. said you do this once a year. You were talking about looking at the, the, the revamp of your business, or not even a revamp, just an adjustment, tweaking, refinement of your business, that it doesn't yeah. have to be a certain in, in certain intervals. But actually, along with this annual it. review of SMART goals, it seems like it might be a really good idea to at least once a year, maybe during slow season, off season, to go back and look at where your business is in comparison to uh, your competition. I actually have in my kind of monthly to-do list or have had in my monthly to-do list just that for my business. So not just annually, but monthly Mm -hmm. looking at what my competitors are saying, because that enables me to be able, and and ultimately what they're offering, if their service model has changed, because it enables me to more effectively market when I can position myself in contrast to what it is that they're doing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I, I think again, we have to build the space into our lives for reflection And that doesn't necessarily just go back to us and our businesses, but also to the businesses that are around us and the photography community as a whole. Like if you're not willing to give yourself that time and that space to look through those things that are happening, you're going to miss it. And then you're going to be just like your Russian panoramic film guy and you're going to complain. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. I oh, think sorry. the Russian panoramic film guy, that's what I'm going to call him moving on. Yeah, that's, that's good. I like the label. Okay. So I have, <laughs> I have one last question for you and, and this has to do with um, kind of going back to a topic that we hit on briefly earlier, which is balancing business and personal life, especially at the outside of a, of a business. I know that you already shared some ideas on how you're doing that, but can you comment a little bit more about, about how to approach this, especially for a new photographer being super overwhelmed, just trying to figure so many different things out all at once and, and putting in the hard work like you were talking about to go ahead and get that business off the ground, but then still wanting to be able to sleep at night and spend time with the important people in their life. What do you, how do you recommend they approach that? So to clarify, we're going to have to go hard at the beginning. Like you're going to have to go hard, but also understand that there is always something more to do. Even now that I'm delegating all of these things out, I'm finding other areas and other aspects that I could potentially fill that time with if I wanted to. So true. Yep. So the intentionality behind it all comes down to intentionality. It all comes down and it comes down to, to following your word. So if you make a promise to yourself that you're done at four o'clock and then you break that promise, 
what does that really say? That says that you're not valuing yourself enough. And in the end, yes, while you're, you're putting in that hard work towards this business, what is that actually building if it's taking away from who you are and from the lifestyle that you want to lead? So one of the things that I would definitely recommend for somebody who's just starting out is to slow down. Slow yourself down a little bit. Don't rush through your editing. Don't worry as much. Just don't do your editing. (laughs) Just send it to somebody else. Start that way right away. You you never have to go have to go back. That's much better. But again, it it just comes down to it really comes down to making promises to yourself and keeping those promises, the discipline that comes with that. And yeah, I have I had days this past month or two months, I was so motivated, right? And motivation, like we said before, it comes and goes. But I was so motivated where I could have worked from 6am to 8pm on something to do with the business. And at 4pm, I have made that promise to myself. And so that is when I'm going to put everything to do with photography away. I'm going to focus on my husband. And we're going to figure out how we're going to connect that night. And if it's not that we're connecting that night, cool, I might be able to go back in and do it. But I've made that decision that I am going to stop at four Mm. and check in with him before we go forward and we do anything else. Mm. I think establishing your boundaries is really key when you first start a business. So I did not do that. And I will say that I got so burned out. I was my third year of business. I was so sick. I think I missed like 28 or 29 days of school, which in 176 school year, day school year is a lot of time. Okay. So that burnout led me to actually evaluate why I was pushing so hard. Mm. And then it came down to, okay, you need to release this, let go of this, let it go that way. But if I can help somebody else to not do that initially and to understand that the grind is different than hard work. The grind is where you're worn down. You're not able to sleep. You're in some, you have insomnia, because you have so much going on, you have so much to think about, you almost can't catch up with your own thoughts versus hard work is where you know that you've accomplished something. And we don't do this enough in general, Mm. but when you accomplish something, celebrate the small successes, especially when you start off with a, a business. I'll never forget, my husband was like, why are you so disappointed that you hit 10 weddings this year and you want, I know you wanted 12. And that was my second year in business. You hit 10 weddings this year. I know you wanted 12. Why are you disappointed? You had four last year, you know, and it, it took him speaking some truth into my life to say, slow down and celebrate what you've accomplished instead of, oh my gosh, I'm not there and I'm not enough. So. Yeah, so yeah. I was I was taking notes here as you were talking. Uh, and in case for for anybody who's who's listening in or watching for that matter, what you don't see first of all is my screen. I have this control panel going on here, and then sometimes I have to remember when I switch to full screen on my guests, they may still be able to see me as I'm looking around. They're like, "What is he looking down for? Is he playing on his phone? Like what what's going on?" But I was actually taking notes. So, um, it, but I wrote down. You talked about slow down. I mean, we have almost three or four important points just in this. Slow down small steps consistently is, is what I wrote down mm-hmm. just kind of based on what you were saying. And you make such a great point, which is especially at the outset, but, but actually not even just especially at the outset, really all the time as business owners, especially if, if we've been in- intentional and we've been intelligent in the moves that we've made, we're going to have a, a working business. And at, there is 
always, always, always going to be something that needs to be done that didn't quote unquote get done. And I I face this now 20, well, close to 20 years into being an entrepreneur and I, I'm reminding, I, I keep bringing up Jill today. Jill is my girlfriend who, who produces the podcast, who runs our digital marketing. We have four or five brands right now that we have either, that already are in existence or we're building, um, getting ready to push out. So she has endless amounts of work to do. Our customer service team and management team, endless amounts of work to do. It never really does actually stop. The list doesn't completely go away, but yeah. we, we have to stop or we will burn mm-hmm. out. I, I literally right. had COVID symptoms, not very, I don't know, about a month, a month and a half ago, because I was so loaded down with stress from all that we had going on with in my life personally and professionally that it, it almost seemed like I had COVID. And fortunately I, yeah. I didn't, but there's, we can, we can truly overwork ourselves and stress ourselves out under the guise of, like you said, the grind um, or FOMO, and, and the reality mm-hmm. is there will always be something else and someone else. And hey. if we continue to run our business based on that versus setting intentional goals and the boundaries that you talked about, Christoris, is so important. Um, if, if we always go that way, we are going to burn ourselves out physically, mentally, emotionally, in our relationships. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to be a pretty picture. So uh, I, I just love that recommendation. And the other thing that you talked about to go along with that is establishing boundaries. We talked about it earlier. Same thing um, again now. And, and it's a good reminder again do it for, in, in our business for the sake of our mental health, for emotional health, for relationship health, and, and even actually for the health of our business. It's interesting how if we do create those boundaries and we limit the time that we're putting into business, that we're not working all hours of the day, that we then have the energy and the mental space and the clarity and the creativity to bring to it when we do actually go do that work. And that's yeah. something that get, gets missed too. Again, under the guise of putting the, grind, you know, putting the work in, grinding yeah. away. Um, don't stop working all this stuff. It's, we actually, in a way, burn ourselves out creatively and there's opportunity Mm -hmm. to be much better when we do go to work, if we create boundaries. So these have been really great (laughs) reminders. And and I have to apologize again. I don't, I I gave blood today or I I had um, blood drawn today for, for like a physical. And I don't know if it's that or I had too much caffeine or what, but I I have to apologize for just going on, on rants in response to the things that you're saying. You, you, you brought some really interesting points of conversation up and you also brought some really great practical points of, of reference and advice for our listeners, not just for new photographers, but existing photographers with existing businesses. These are really important talking points. And and I appreciate you making time to share with all of us (laughs) today. This is, thank you. I've, I've really, really enjoyed being here. So well, and, and remind our listeners, if you will, um, and, and we can actually pop this up on screen. Remind them what your Instagram is, especially for those that are only listening to audio. And sure, uh, it's green. Website. Oh, so it's Green Apple Photo KY. Uh, you can find that's my Instagram. It's also my handle on TikTok. Uh, we do TikToks almost daily just to keep people informed and then also to add some more value. And then our website is um, greenappleweddings.co.co. Perfect. Which, by the way, is just beautiful. Like you land on that page and these beautiful full screen images that are scrolling by. I mean, beautifully processed. Just really, really nice. So we'll link to this in the show notes. GreenAppleWeddings.co. I've got that up on the screen there. And then Green Apple Photo KY. We'll put these in the, the uh, show notes at BocaPodcast.com. Thank you again, Christora, so much for making time for all of us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you.